This is Paul Kemp from the App Guy podcast. I'm running a free webinar workshop and I want you to go and claim your spot right now. It's Wednesday, the 14th of May, and it's 4 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central Time, and 8 a.m. Pacific Time. That's Wednesday, the 14th of May. And to claim your spot right now, just go to theappguy.co forward slash webinar. That's all lowercase, Uh, theappguy.co forward slash webinar. Just register your interest and then you'll be invited to join my free webinar where I talk about how to network with the world's most successful authors and entrepreneurs, startup founders, app developers, and how to get them as guests on your show or to give you uh, free content. I just go through my process on how I'm getting all these guests and these um, great speakers that you've been listening to. So uh, go ahead, sign up to my webinar. Uh, That's theappguy.co and you'll find the navigation bar at the top. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. The App Guy Podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. Guy Podcast. And now, Paul the App Guy. Yes, welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I am your host, Paul Kemp, and we have some fantastic speakers of your benefit. We have authors, entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, anyone who could help us in our uh, successful careers as app developers. And I've really got an interesting episode today because this guest of ours who's joining us uh, has just such a wealth of experience and uh, he's been developing for Apple at least 30 years uh, plus and uh, he's a listener of the show which is great his name is Mark Schulman welcome to the App Guy podcast thank you very much Paul you said in the pre-chat that you were one of the first developers to get your hands stuck on a Mac. Perhaps you could take us back to that point and uh, remind us. Of, uh, we were Apple yeah. developers before the Mac actually came out on the Apple II. And we had a product actually for pharmacists on the Apple II. And we applied as Mac developers. We had hoped to get the Mac before release date. They only gave out, I believe, 40. And we were like number 48 on the list. So we got our first Mac on release day directly from Apple as an Apple developer. Back then, Apple really did some nice things for developers. You used to be able to buy Macs at 50% off as a developer. So that was awfully nice <laughs> of Apple back then. Um, so we received our 128K Mac from Apple on, on release day. 128K, my goodness. That's, uh, <laughs> and what, was it, what did it feel like when you, uh, you got stuck in? I mean, is that your start of your love affair with Apple? Well, actually, my love affair with Apple began with the Apple IIe, frankly. I actually converted, my father had a company where he was manufacturing headphones way back when, and I converted his accounting system to, I think it was Peachtree, if I'm not mistaken, way back when. He was doing accounting by hand, and I convinced him, let's buy, let's buy an Apple II, and we can do it by, on the computer. And so that was my first, uh, my first encounter with Apple, and the first time I fell in love with the company was back then. The Mac, though, was, was something else altogether, but you couldn't develop on a Mac. In order to develop software, you had to have a Lisa. And Lisa is what was development uh, tool for the Mac back then. Remember, there was no hard drive or anything else. 
you would develop your app, it wasn't an app back then, the program I should say, in Pascal on the Lisa. You would run it, you would compile it onto the disk, which you then move over to the Mac and then you'd run it. And then if it crashed back to the Lisa, the whole process would take 25 to 30 minutes each time in order to do the compiling, bring it over to the Mac, make the change, test it out, and go forward from there. Come a long way since then, hey? Slightly, just slightly. <laughs> you know? Those people complaining about the simulator, you know? Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you got to know how bad things really were in the real world. Uh, have you still got your Mac too? I'm afraid I don't. The, early, the, early, the earliest Mac I've man managed to hold on to was an LC2. So the Mac, right. the, the original Mac I did not keep um, between my parents' old house and this and that. It just somehow disappeared over the years, I'm afraid to say. So, so th this was your full-time job then, back, back then as uh, one of the early developers. Uh, you, you decided to go down uh, working for yourself, did you, in, yes. in this field? Yeah, we, we did. We developed a num quite a number of programs, some of the initial uh, Mac programs. We developed about four or five programs that were productivity. We had something called Mac Home, which was a suite of, of Home Act Home products. And then we had Mac Electrical, which will come in, and Mac Finance, which will come in when I talk about our app period of time. What we're doing now. So we had about six or seven early Mac programs, and then we started developing products also for for the vertical business markets. And those were both PC and Mac based, and they were aimed at uh, they were aimed at various accounting usages. Let's say for um, video and rental wholesalers, all sorts of very specific uh, vertical business niches. We developed software for both on the Mac and then at the PC, as the PC started coming out as well. Well, I just want to appeal to anyone listening out there who uh, is you know, hearing your story, and it's just, it is so inspirational, the fact that you've uh, been a developer for all these years, and you've sustained that, and you've grown successful companies. So congratulations to you, Mark. And right, but there were some bumps in the road. I mean, the vertical business software part of the business, we tried taking public way back when, and... There was a, you know, there I learned a hard lesson. One minute I was a paper millionaire, and then the uh, company that was bringing us public said they hadn't moved their previous issues and they had pulled us from the marketplace. So and I was left with uh, some debt, shall we say, from that. So, you know, it's it's been a long road. It's been a positive road altogether, and we're doing some great things now, I think. But, you know, you got to have perseverance because it's a long road sometimes. Yeah. And let's talk about, um, I guess, current things and what, what you're getting up to and uh, the, you know, the apps that you're getting involved with, and just yeah, tell us about your current business. Well, we uh, take you back for two seconds. We were we've been de we developed first CD-ROMs, uh, history CD-ROMs, and when c CDs became a little less, um, people started using them less, and they started using the internet more and more and more. We went more and more to the internet, and then when the internet crashed in 2000, we went from getting what was thirty dollars CPMs to fifty cent CPMs. Again, you can't make a living on that. So we, we had a physical business. We were selling history-related items off of our website. And about six years ago, five and a half years ago, I guess it was, we spun that off and sold it. And right then, just as that was right as Apple was um, releasing for the first time the SDK for, for iOS. And so we started developing iOS apps. And the first app we developed was actually similar to one of the original Mac apps we had done. So instead of Mac Finance, we developed an iOS app for um, for doing all sorts of financial calculations, and that over the period of time has been added a whole series of history apps. And that's really where we're putting most of our emphasis at the moment, because that's really what we are more than anything else. We're mostly a history company that happens to have the technical ability to create apps, 
and um, and of course the website. So yeah, there's there's no better way, uh, better time to get into history. Uh, you know, I do remember. Uh, obviously, back in the day when I was at school and uh, history lessons used to be fairly uh, boring. Uh, you know, you had the uh, list of books and uh, we had the uh, uh, curriculum that we had to go through. And, and now when you look at the apps that are available for the iPad uh, from history, uh, the history of uh, Disney, I think they've got a beautiful app on there uh, and uh, a lot of different um, beautiful experiences and just really d digging up. Uh, and uh, I believe that... Um, yeah, some of the American history on there, the history of the Constitution, all these wonderful things that you can now just go and download an app for and uh, have a, a really interactive experience. Do you, do you find that it makes history easier to learn and to spread? That's always been my goal. What's always driven me is the fact that I was a great history student, but I watched my friends be bored out of their minds and never learned too much history. So more than anything else that has driven me throughout my adult career to try to make history more entertaining, more interesting, more engaging to students. And I've always believed that technology is a means of doing it. And it's, it works in two ways. First of all, as we all know, kids love technology just in and of itself. So sometimes the same boring material brought to you on an iPad, an iPhone, a computer is more interesting. But much more importantly, you can do a lot more, a lot more interesting things. I mean, just to give you an example of something that's not as much uh, used in schools, but one of our two, we have two apps, one on a biography of FDR and one a biography of JFK, and the ability to tell their story and then simultaneously a student is interested in a, a fireside speech, you can listen to the complete speech right there integrated as part of the app and he wants to see how did FDR present himself, well there's the video right there and he wants to study the words of the text, well it's right there as well. And these are things you just can't do any other way. The ability to do interactive things of that nature, to bring it all alive, uh, to give it real depth, is something that you really can do with apps today. Uh, and um, that's what our agenda is more than anything else, to try to bring history alive as much as possible, as much as it can be done in the classroom. One of the problems, of course, that we, I think we all face when it comes to uh, school apps is the education world tends to be very conservative in the small c. And they, as much as on some levels they're adopting um, iPads for usage in schools, they also feel very comfortable just getting the digital textbook done by the same uh, large firm that have done the textbooks before them. And then when you look at their textbooks that are digital, all you see really is the same textbook except they threw in some videos. So that's really our challenge more than anything else going forward, I believe. Yeah, I'm thinking of my local school and they have... Uh, an aspiration to have uh, one iPad per six or seven students and uh, you can't have that personal interaction I guess with the content um, when you're you know in a but there are many school districts in the United States that have really gone one-to-one -one in terms of iPads and I, I'm a strong believer you know I gave a speech uh, about a year ago at uh, iPad and Ed conference um, that was in Harvard Medical and the title of my speech was is this time different and the question is, is this time going to be like when the computers were going to change education or when the internet was going to change education or is the iPad this time going to be something different and really have that impact? And I would a room full of educators, both principals of schools and tech coordinators of schools, all of them had iPads obviously. And the result of the discussion that took place was kind of mixed in the end. I believe it, it really can be different because this time around 
the parents know what a technology is. It isn't like it was 20 years ago when parents preferred the textbook. Obviously, the teachers know what technology is, and they all have the iPhones and the iPads and everything themselves. The concern, though, amongst the educators in the room was going back to what I discussed before, the conservative nature of teachers. And I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat, or you know, right-left in terms of conservative. I'm talking about they like doing things the way they've always done things in the past. And that's always going to be a challenge when uh, we're working in technology and we're trying to bring about something new. And that continues to be a challenge, I think, for everybody who works in technology, especially when we come across old technology. When I say old technology, a school is old technology, you know, by its definition. So what gave you the fascination with history? Why focus on that for your career? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think part of the reason is a very simple reason. I had really good history teachers in high school and really lousy science teachers. So, you know, it, it really sometimes comes down to as, as sad a statement as that in life. I came into, I went in from, from elementary school as a great science student and I was going to solve the problems of science. I had really, really lousy science teachers and I had really great history teachers. And I did really well in history in high school. And uh, I was the best, literally the best student in the school in, in history. And so I said, okay, this is what I really love. And it ended up what, I was, what I've done. But it's always been this combination with technology. I may have been helped by the fact that I'm one of the few historians whose both parents were engineers. My father was an electrical engineer and was involved in technology in his own way throughout his life. And my mother was a civil engineer. So I, I came from that, uh, from the technological side almost naturally. And so I've always tried to combine the two um, throughout my life. And, um, and let's talk about that, Mark, because there are people listening that perhaps are thinking about a career or a life as an app developer, an indie app developer, or software or website developer, how important do you think it is to, to focus on your passion and find something you're really interested in? You know, compare that to your own experience. What would you say to those who are seeking, you know, a life as a developer? How important is, is it to marry that with something that you're really interested and passionate about? I, I think it goes both ways. In other words, if you're, if you're looking upon this as a lifelong uh, passion or profession, then you better find something that you really like, and it better it, it better intersect with your true passions. If you're looking for a job for a couple of years, if you're looking to make some quick money, well, sometimes your passions aren't always the best area. I'm not sure that history is the most lucrative area of app development. Let's put it that way. Um, in some ways, it's it's conservative in, th in that sense that you know it's something that's not going to go out of style, and I'm not worried that someone's going to come around and push us out of the marketplace. Uh, and so I enjoy what I do every single day, and I think that's really important. And for someone who's been doing this on and off for 30 years, it's important to really care about the field. I'm, I care more about the history side than I do about the technology. I'm a, I'm a reasonable programmer. My son, like I mentioned, who's 14, is a much better programmer than I am already, and I use him a great deal because he's <laughs> better than me. Uh, but then I've used a lot of outside programmers over the years. Uh, but I think it's important to enjoy both sides of it. And I think it's very important if you're a content person, if you don't have the technical skills, you can hire it, but it, it's not as good as having some of those skills yourself. Because even if you want to outsource part of it, if you don't know what's going on, um, you better have a pretty good understanding of technology if you want to be able to, uh, if you want to be able to direct the technology and direct the development. And that's an important factor. 
I, let's just pick up, pick up on your your interaction there with your son, because I was thinking there are people listening who have uh, have a family, and uh, nowadays it's incredibly easy to uh, have these joint projects of learning uh, coding uh, along with your kids. Um, for example, my my kids are doing an iPad app. Uh, they're aged four. They've got the twins, and the the uh, app itself is uh, giving them the basic foundations of coding. So I'm hoping that you know they enjoy it. And they Play that app quite a lot, and uh, that if you're listening, um, you know, and you have kids, that, that it, I guess it's a really good way of of creating a an interest for your kids to teach them coding. And uh, did you find that it's easier now to um, learn coding? Absolutely. I mean, quite frankly, um, I had not done low level. I had not done uh, Objective C at all. I was someone, I had done Pascal, and I was doing things in Director and all sorts of different ways. I was doing Basic, and I hadn't done any serious programming until I, my son decided he wanted to learn it on his own. And I sort of sat through him and helped him, and we took some courses online. And through his own learning of it, um, I, you know, I refreshed my skills and became a capable programmer once again. And have done the last six or seven of our apps um, are either my, well, last 10 or so, or either my, my design or his design or a combination of both. Uh, previous to that, we were using an outside developer to do a lot of the work for us. And um, it's much easier today. I mean, quite frankly, when I look back at the day that Apple released, released its SDK, and I looked at it and I was saying, hmm, what do I do here? I, it was really, to me, a big, big blank trying to figure out what to do at this point. I hadn't been, like I said, I was not an Objective-C programmer. And I hadn't done any serious Apple programming in a number of years. And today, of course, with all the YouTube videos that are out there and all the books that are out there, and of course, you have Haggerty's lesson um, from Harvard, not from Harvard, from Stanford. And then you have a lesson, an iPhone uh, class that was given um, by the same person who gives um, the introduction to computing at Harvard. And he's really very, very good. Uh, so some great resources. Yeah, out. which one is that? Uh, which one is oh, that? Oh, he gives. CS uh, CS50 at, at Harvard. I don't remember his name offhand, but is that in iTunes University? I believe it's in iTunes. I know it's certainly on YouTube. The, the CS50, yeah. which is Harvard's introductory computing class, is on iTunes University, and it's terrific. I mean, it's the best introduction to computers I've seen, and he's a tremendous uh, teacher. And I just recently came across he started, he gave a course recently on um, I, iPhone development. And I only watched the first two lessons, and I found that quite good as well. Uh, so yeah, if uh, I'll put links to that, I'll find that. Put links in the show notes. So uh, if you're listening, it's onemob.com. Go to podcasts and find the episode with Mark Seulman, which is uh, episode 54, and uh, there'll be links to that. And I, I know that another good resource is Linda, uh, L-Y-N-D-A dot com, and they, they even have a teach your kids PHP, teach your kids Objective C. I mean, it's uh, a lot of classes actually designed for kids. But, uh, my son basically yeah. learned backwards. I mean, he didn't know any Objective C. He learned how to, you know, he started with the, uh, uh, what is it, This World or whatever you call that, the Hello World app. And he worked backwards, developing more and more um, products. We actually, he actually took on one of the products that we did uh, for, we, we do both our own products and we also do do products for, for companies. He actually took on one of the products we did for one of the companies. They had no idea at the time he was not even 12 and they were getting a product <laughs> developed by a 11 and a half year old. Um, but through doing that... I feel, he, like, I feel we've got a boy genius in the, the making here. I don't know about that, but he's become he's quite a competent 
uh, programmer to say the least, uh, much better than I am. And so oh, um, he's, he's hoping to win one of those scholarships to WWDC this year. So we'll see what happens. Oh, yeah, that's so good luck for that. Uh, so let's talk about you. You mentioned that uh, after the Internet crash, the C CPMs that the cost, you know, the stuff that you were making online was um, uh, hard, difficult, challenging. And then uh, Apple released um, its iOS. Uh, and that was, I guess, in 2008. So uh, did you take a lot from what you'd done previously and, and then put that uh, into the App Store? Very much so. In other words, there's no question. The initial products we did, uh, the um, finance formulator was uh, a redone, redone of our Mac finance, which we had done 20 some odd years beforehand. And it wasn't the same formulas I hadn't, unfortunately, I hadn't kept the formulas, but it was the same basic idea of financial formulas that the iPhone could do. And that was quite successful when it was first released. We got that out in October of 2008. So it was fairly early in the cycle of uh, of uh, yeah I, can't, I can imagine probably le there was less than a hundred thousand apps or what? less than a hundred thousand I think it was less than twenty thousand less than twenty thousand wow <laughs> or even less than that I believe you know wow. and then there was that then you used to get to the front of the list just by doing an update until Apple realized that people were just doing updates to get to the top of the list but updates showed you up at the top of the list every time you did an update so it was sort of the wild west time um, for app development. We also did a documents program in American history, which we call American Dreams. Um, that we were able to release on the day that the iPad was released. Um, that was kind of an interesting development. We had done it completely using the simulator because you couldn't, didn't have an iPad. And I can remember getting, um, we had already submitted it to Apple and uh, we had submitted only an iPad version because there were rumors going back and forth that whole week beforehand whether they preferred approving just iPad or universal applications. So the last rumor was they preferred just iPad applications. So we did that as an iPad-only application. And I can remember getting the, the FedEx man showing up in our house with two iPads and plugging it in to make sure that the actual app that we had submitted to, I, to Apple and had already become live actually worked. So wow. the simulator actually came, came through that time. Oh, that's good. And and um, so would you we, say that those experiences of get you know when the um, iOS came out did that really did you pivot your company then and focus p purely on uh, the uh, releasing apps uh, is that what became your I would soul? say 80% I, I don't I don't believe purely in anything in in this lifetime you know I have a I have an every once in a while blog that I don't do all that often but I title it living in the world of Apple and Google you know, two big companies, they can make a decision. I mean, they're great companies to work with on one hand because they pay on time. You know, one thing you can say about those two companies, they really pay and they pay on time. And as someone who's been in this business a long time, I remember the complaints people were making about Apple taking 30% and how terrible that was. And I tried to tell people, listen, in the old days, if you had a box piece of software, you had to sell it to a distributor who sold it to a dealer if it was a direct deal to a, to a big company, it would take you six months to make the sale. You'd finally ship the products, and then you'd have to hold your breath for three months to hope you got paid. And, you know, the fact that you ship the goods to Apple, so to speak, by uploading it, they pay you every month 30 days at the end of the month, give or take four or five days. That's terrific. On the other hand, they can just change their policy. And, for instance, we were hurt when they changed, uh, when they went to iOS 6, and they changed the layout of the App Store. 
uh, we never quite recovered in terms of a lot of our sales as a result of that change. And so I never believe in 100% pivot. You got to leave yourself some insurance because both a company like Apple or a company like Google, who we get a fair amount of ad revenue from, can tomorrow make a change and suddenly you can find yourself without any income. So I don't recommend to anybody they put all of their eggs in one basket. Try to keep yourself a little bit diversified. You know, uh, some days I say to my children, you know, open up a grocery store, something that won't be dependent on changes in technology. But <laughs> other than that, even within technology, as much as it's important to focus, on the other hand, if you have a real family and you've got to provide for them on a long-term basis, then try to limit the risks to some extent by being involved in at least more than one technology, one, more than one major company. It's amazing. We're already through 25 minutes and I've got just so many different things to ask you. So we'll try and um, cram all this stuff in before we finish. But uh, I would love to know what ideas you have currently going on. You sound like a, a really a creative uh, man. And what uh, can, can you share with us? Any ideas that you're thinking about for apps or for software? A little bit. I mean, I don't want to give away too many of, the, too many of, of our future <laughs> yeah. ideas. Uh, I would say two things. I mean, look. Clearly, one of the things we're, we're right now doing is rewriting almost all of our software because iOS 7 required us to do that, to, which is another, another big, a big thing that one has to do. I mean, just totally on the side, um, the, about a week before the release of iOS uh, 7, my son had actually done an, uh, an app called Teacher's Assistant, which was the most skeuomorphic app ever designed. I mean, he was a great fan of Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs believed in skeuomorphic. It was completely skeuomorphic. Anyway, he's on the side, been working the last four months to take away all everything skeuomorphic and totally redesign that app because it's totally it goes against everything that iOS 7 stands for. But one of the major things we're trying to do in in the redesign of all of the apps is, you know, one hand we're trying to give the apps a little more zing and a little more, you know, segues and things of that nature, but also we need to find more ways of engaging students and that's one of the most important things we're doing with some of the apps creating we're not gamifying them to a totally but we're trying to add that element of gamification so to speak of adding games within the apps getting ways to engage the students much more so um, so that's that's in terms of all of our history apps and we probably have probably have three years worth of additional history apps that we will be releasing over the next three years so it's not a small amount of of, of products that we're working on at the moment and they take time and effort in order to do that. Um, we're also doing some side projects. We're actually working, one of our side projects working with the government of Poland, believe it or not, on a, an app on um, for tourism in Poland. And so we're doing a few things on the, in that side of uh, side as well. Um, but look, things change so much, you know, uh, tomorrow night I'm going to a conference on wearables. Do we have a product we're planning in wearables? Not really. On the other hand, one of the key factors that are key of, of succeeding in this business is you need to stay at the cutting edge as much as you can, understanding where the business is going. Try to anticipate and try to develop products that will be cutting edge. Are wearables going to succeed? I'm not really sure. Uh, do you have any wearables? I don't have any wearables. My son is planning to get Google Glass in the next couple of weeks, and I suspect he'll get it. Um, I'm, I've been sort of holding off for whatever that Apple announcement that doesn't seem to be coming yeah. uh, is going to be. Uh, I'm not totally convinced. I'm not sure. Uh, there is some sort of market, but again, um, hey, I'm an old guy at this point. You know, you gotta, I, I try to keep on 
keep on the cutting edge, and I so far succeeded for all these years. We'll have to see whether wearables breaks me or not in that direction. Well, at least you've, you've got, you're in good hands there with your son. Who, Absolutely. Sure he keeps, keeps me you very out. honest and very, <laughs> very up-to-date. I mean, you know, but look, one of the other keys, of course, in this business is you've got to keep on reading. And you've got to keep on understanding what's going on. You've got to keep on trying everything. And you know, one of the key things with us in terms of coding is every time Apple releases um, you know, the, the newest SDK, try all the new features. Even if you don't have an immediate use case, build some little app that will make use of it so you can sort of get a feel for it and have a sense of, of what it can do. And then maybe some sort of apps will come, come to mind of what you can do with it. And every time you, all sorts of people are releasing all sorts of interesting little SDKs, keep on trying them. That's one of the things we do all the time to experiment with different things to sort of see what makes sense and what doesn't make sense for the products we're developing. Yeah, we had a, a question from the listener, a listener of the show uh, recently who asked, uh, he, he's really confused about whether to go down with Apple uh, the Xcode route, and, uh, you know, actually uh, coding a native app or uh, to try some of these cross-platform uh, solutions uh, like uh, Titanium Studio. So do you have a view of it's that? It's an interesting question. I mean, we did one app. The, fir the first app my son did actually was in Live Code. And Live Code is one of those cross-platform solutions. And it's a, it's, a very nice, it's a very nice solution, frankly. It reminds me an awful lot of HyperCard, which is really where its origins lie. I don't know if you remember HyperCard. But HyperCard was the original Mac multimedia product. And it was actually the basis of some of our very early uh, multimedia products. Our first American history, CD-ROM, which, by the way, came out in it was 60 megabytes. It came either on 16 discs with no sound or 60 megabytes CD um, with sound. But we did that in HyperCard. So LiveCard, LiveCode is very much similar to HyperCard. The disadvantage to using something like LiveCode is you will not get the latest um, SDKs as part of it until they manage to incorporate them and they can't always incorporate all of them. Um, it takes time. And so if you want your app to feel like it's cutting edge, uh, you can't use one of those cross-platform uh, tools. On the other hand, the advantage of a cross-platform tool is what it says. Cross-platform, you know, you develop something, you now have it both on multiple platforms, like, like its name implies. So you develop it once, you have it on the iPhone, you have it on the Android, you have it maybe on the PC, maybe you have it on, uh, on a Mac as well. So that's the advantage of cross-platform. Um, you've got to sort of balance that between that and having cutting-edge technology that you don't have in the cross-platform tools. And, uh, you know, it's easier. The cross-platform tools tend to be easier. They tend to be easier to learn, quicker to learn, Xcode. While much easier to learn today is still a, a, stiff, um, a stiff learning experience. Objective-C takes a little bit of time to get used to. These cross-platform things tend to be WSIG of some kind or another. They're, they're easy to understand often. So I think someone has to decide if they really want to get in the nuts and bolts, do it in Xcode. Uh, but there are negatives as well, obviously. And so I was thinking, um, before we say goodbye, you sound like you've got a lot of things going on. Uh, you mentioned uh, you, you do a radio show as well. How, how important, I mean, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the extra things that you do uh, outside of coding and app development uh, and how important it is to create uh, like a, a routine or a habit that incorporates different things other than just pure uh, technology and app development? Well, okay. Um, it's, it's important. There's no question about it. Of course, you know, each individual is, you know, we're, we're all different. So I, 
do a weekly radio show on foreign affairs. So my background is in political science and history, and so I do a weekly radio show on what's taken place in the last week in foreign affairs in the world. And that's always a fun to do, and it's a good way of keeping myself up up to date and make sure that I'm updated. How can we listen to I, that? Um, it's the Bob Harden show. It's available on the internet anywhere's, and I appear on Monday. So just look for Bob the Bob Harden show. I appear every Monday morning at um, seven o'clock or seven o six to seven thirty six every every week, and it's recorded as well. So you can find it as a recording. It may even be a be as a, a podcast as well. That I'm not sure whether he's doing that or not. Great. Um, my section of it I actually record on my web, on my website. If you go to historycentral.com, and there's a, a link to weekly news, and that's actually a recording of the podcast. Uh, I do other writings on foreign affairs on a regular basis. Some days I'm not sure which is my hobby and which is my actual job, but those things don't bring me any money, so I guess those are my hobbies. And this actually brings in income, so developing and writing apps brings in income. Uh, But I also am involved, as you can tell, in a pretty wide range of apps. So on one hand, I'm involved in all of the history apps, and that's my area of expertise. But I've gone a little beyond my expertise when we've been involved in doing some of these finance apps, and we've done apps also for architects and uh, carpenters and all sorts of areas of um, electrical engineers. And those areas have been different areas, and I always enjoy learning and pushing what I can do. And, you know, look, when you do something for as long as I've been doing it, you got to do different things. It's one of the key factors that make it still enjoyable and fun every day to get up in the morning and do it. And the fact that I do a wide range of things every day is is makes it really a, a lot of fun. And again, the other advantage that I have is I sort of divide my day between writing the history and dealing with, I do some of the videos I do myself, and uh, doing some of the coding. So, you know, doing a lot of different things is really good if you're going to do it for a long time. And so that's one of the things I'll say to people, if you're planning to do this for a long time, uh, then have multiple skills, because that's really important. It's also important in a small company. I mean, we have five different people working for us, but that's not a lot for a company with with 70 apps. So uh, you have to have, be able to do many things at one time. And how best can we see your portfolio of apps? I mean, you've mentioned a few. Is, uh, uh, are they all under your one co- company name? or do you one, The ones that, are, that we sell are all under multieducator.net or .com, and you'll see, look, look there under apps, and there'll be two, two sets. One is the formulator line, and one is under history, then go into iPad, iPhone. Those will be the history apps, the two separate groups. We also have one, an accounting app as well. So there's where you can see, I think it's about 70 at this point, the number of apps that are under our name, and then others of stuff we've done work for hire. And we always like to do some work for hire, by the way. It also hap- It's a good way of sort of balancing up, balancing the income um, by having work for hire. We don't like doing a lot, but we like always to have one project that we're working on work for hire that sort of keeps, keeps the income sort of balanced on a, on a regular basis. So I, as someone who's doing it for a long time, I could recommend balancing your own apps with the work for hire um, because it gives you a good balance and it lets you sort of um, spread the risk. Like I said before, one of the most important things, again, if, if you're 22 and you want to try it for two years and you're single, you can afford to do almost anything. But if you're someone who has kids and I have three kids and some of them are you know, college age kids, they so got to worry about all these different things, um, then you need to sort of spread the risks in such a way that you make sure that you're not dependent on any one thing. And your income stream is diversified, both whether it's in terms of companies, in our case, the major, you know, being Apple and Google, but then also all of the 
work for hire jobs that we do. So it lets us do a diversification of what we do, and that's really yeah. There important. may be people listening who um, are interested in knowing how you get your work uh, for hire jobs. Is that from like a public profile? Is it uh, from your existing apps? They, they, they like the functionality and they come to you. How how do those leads come to you? Yeah, that most most it's the latter. We've done very little to actually go out and and find the work for hire apps. What usually has happened to us is people uh, will see an app in a certain area. So we had, for instance, our mechanical engineering app and a very large distributor of mechanical engineering gears and other products came to us and said, boy, we really like that app. Could you make an app similar uh, with X, Y, and Z changes and our name on it and we would give it away and, and uh, we worked out an arrangement with them and they came to us completely. And I'm, I would say at least 70% of our work for hire jobs has come from people finding us and asking us to do an app. And again, it helps by the fact that we have 70 apps across a number of different industries. And we've been doing it for so long. Um, some of the business of our personal contacts and um, something that I, without going involved in who, who the project is for, after meeting somebody and discussing their general, what they're doing, et cetera, I came to them and said, listen, you really could use an app to do X, Y, and Z, and you know we'll be happy to do the app for them. And they knew me personally, and they said you know that would be a great idea. And we went forward and developed an app for them based on on what they were trying to accomplish. And they didn't realize what an app could do for them. So that's a question of personal contacts and having a reputation that people will will trust in your abilities to be able to pull I'm it off. I'm taking inspiration from the fact that you, you reminded me that it's good to have apps out there, even if the apps are not attracting a huge amount of downloads or money for you right now, that they're still your portfolio and uh, that uh, eventually they could actually end up uh, being seen by the right people, those buyers uh, who can then approach you and you get this work for, for hire uh, work. So. Well, very much so. You know, it's like the lottery. you you, you got to play to win. Well, in this business, if you're in the business, if you're out there, then you never know when something may break for you, when something good connection may come through, a really great deal might happen. And of course, as we know in the app business also, you know, we always hope for the great hit. Now, we actually don't really work for hits. We work for singles. We're that, that's our business. We like to hit a lot of singles, and we don't try for the home runs. But you know, we all dream that one app will one day actually hit a home run. Now, you know, if you have a lot of at-bats, there's always a greater odd of hitting that home run. So you got to keep at it. That's one of the key factors. You just got to keep at it. You got to keep working at it. And uh, one day you'll hit the yeah, home run. Unfortunately, it seems uh, it's I... slightly rigged in uh, that you're uh, in the gods of Apple, aren't you? Uh, uh, we've spoke to quite a few um, business owners, app developers who have seen significant differences in their performance of their apps just based on uh, whether they were in the most noteworthy of iTunes in the charts or and how long they lasted there. So, uh, yeah, I get Right, that, that's, that's a big problem. And look, I don't think, you know, one of my complaints uh, to Apple, and I've made it actually clear to Apple, is I think that they are not doing a very good job of curating the App Store. I mean, one of the big problems in the App Store, I think, leaving aside who ends up in, those, in that group of select apps, is they don't change very often. And I'm not talking about the, mo the most downloads. That's okay, you know, if, if the downloads are... are stay high to one company, then that so be it. But if you look at the new and new noteworthy in any one given section, it takes months for it to completely change. And that's a problem, I think. And that's one of the problems for a new developer. One of my biggest complaints in the redesign of the App Store was the elimination of that section that had new apps in it. And 
the new apps section used to be automatically, when you had a new app, it would appear. It wasn't new and noteworthy. It was an automatic uh, system that automatically brought any new apps up, and it would appear for, for one, two, three, or four days. And then, of course, you'd fall down because you were no longer the new app. But, you know, I was discussing this with someone from Apple, and he said, I don't understand what your problem is. Why are you complaining? It only was on the front for one, two, or three days. And I tried to explain to him that one, two, or three days can be all the difference to being seen for one or two or three days was a real chance to get immediate feedback. I would know immediately whether the app was going to be successful or not based on those couple of days, and I'd know whether it's worth putting a lot of effort into advertising based on those first couple of days. Not that you're going to sell huge numbers, but if the app sells X in those first three days, then you know that if it sells half X, a different app, then you know that the other app isn't going to be as successful. And they eliminated that tool, I'm afraid, and it was a it really does hurt in the ability to bring new apps. Now, a lot of our sales now are the school market, and it's less important because the school market is long buying seasons and everything else. But generally speaking, if you're not selling to the school market, not having that new app section has really hurt, I think, a lot of developers. And of course, someone has a new idea, good luck on being seen initially. And that's really a real problem that I think that Apple needs to solve in yeah, some ways. Well said, and certainly something we have to take heed of. Um, so, how can people reach out and connect with you mark what's the best way of getting in touch best is my email address marc at multied m-u-l-t-i-e-d.com short name for multi-educator uh, our website went up in 1995 <laughs> so we were one of the early websites on the web and back then short was the good idea so multi-ed was short for multi-educator <laughs> so it's mark at multi-ed m-a-r-c at m-u-l-t-i-e-d and i'll be happy to advice is always free for me I'm not a consultant, so I don't have to charge for my time. <laughs> oh, Mark, it's been just so enjoyable chatting to someone with such a wealth of experience. And, uh, you know, you've been at, at uh, the game from the start and you've, you still sound like you're as passionate today as I'm sure you were back then. So it's been a real joy. Thanks for coming on the App Guy podcast. We'd love to have you back sometime. My pleasure, whenever you'd like. I'm running a free webinar workshop and I want you to go and claim your spot right now. It's Wednesday the 14th of May and it's 4 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time. That's Wednesday the 14th of May. And to claim your spot right now, just go to theappguy.co forward slash webinar. Uh, that's all lowercase. Uh, theappguy.co forward slash webinar. 